Welcome to Talking Tuesday. I am your host, Fancy Quant, and today we are going to talk about the Quant Pipeline. So more or less like the workflow of the Quant here and kind of the struggles and challenges with a Quant Pipeline and setting them up. Um, but let's just dive on in here to what Quants really do here. So let's back away for a second for this. Uh, quants are really part of a process of an entire business here. So typically the way I view this um, in our framework here is typically the business itself, whether it be a bank uh, or a trading desk or, I don't know, some sort of department or person, they're already running a business. They already have a bunch of, you know, problems and things they're doing. Uh, they're going to come up with the idea that they need to model something, okay? Models should generate from the business. They should not generate from the quants. Uh, this will change slightly on like a hedge fund because if you have quant research as a team, um, they typically come up with strategies and research ideas and then those get applied to the business. Uh, but most of these things should spark and start from a business unit. And this is why a lot of data science machine learning teams at these new firms that are all really excited and jazzed about it, this is why they fail. Uh, because typically they do not start at the business end of it. Uh, they start with like, oh, we need to build a bunch of really cool models and predict all this stuff. And they get to the end of it and then they go, well, one, we didn't have data for it. And two, I have no idea how to implement this and no one really has a need for it, and then these projects all get scrapped, and then they get rid of these teams. Uh, so again, lack of planning. But you're gonna need a business that has a need at the beginning that can specify exactly what they need. Like, Dimitri, I need to price loans, or I need to price expected loss on a loan, or I need to price stocks, or I need to price auto loans, or cars, or vehicles, or I need to price mortgages, for example, or I need to price volatility. Uh, these are all things that someone's going to come up to a team of quants and say, I need a model for this, okay? Now, technically this is gonna be pitched to a quant team who needs to build a model. Well, before the quants, which is the probably the unsung heroes of a lot of the quant finance space here, and somebody posted on LinkedIn recently about this, uh, data engineering teams, the teams that manage all of the data, the processes, uh, the pipelining and all of that, all that data quality, all that data pipelining, that needs to be set up first before your quants even get halfway involved with anything. Um, so you need to have a data engineering team in place or you at least need to make sure you have the data to actually solve the problem. So let's say, I don't know, you're pricing out mortgages, maybe the price of a house, for example, and you want a model that's going to price any sort of house and you need to price that house, you need to have information on that property. So you need to decide where you're gonna get this data from, right? Is this gonna be provided, provided by a consumer or a department? Maybe a department has a massive database uh, on all the individuals and their houses, and maybe it's you know square footage and it's zip code and state and location, and maybe it's other things, for example, like who's going to be purchasing the house. So maybe if it's on a loan, for example, which is completely different than house pricing, but let's say you wanna buy a specific house, you might need to look at their credit worthiness, which would include like their income, um, I don't know, the LTV on the loan, for example, um, I don't know, a bunch of their FICO information, for example, how much uh, credit do they have available to them? Like, what's their credit availability here? So you would want to price all these things in here, but you need to make sure you have the data first, okay? Now, once the data comes in, this should come into more or less the quant pipeline itself, which is you're going to be going through the process of data, conceptual soundness, performance, and then finally, at the end of this, you should have some sort of documentation and governance piece to this. And so setting all these things up sounds really easy, right? 
It sounds easy. Unfortunately, in practice, it is not nearly as easy as you would expect. And so one is just the training and education piece of making sure you have a training program to get everybody on the team, whether they're junior and it's their first job uh, or they're senior and they've been doing, you know, machine learning, statistical modeling, quantitative finance uh, for 20 plus years. You need to ensure that everybody's on the same page because often when you jump from problem to problem, different types of models are going to come into play. And even senior employees that may have done this for, I don't know, 20 years, they might have not worked with these sorts of types of models. So as machine learning, for example, is coming in, it is fairly new. Um, there are not a lot of experts in that space. A lot of people with fake degrees, a lot of people with degrees in general, not good solid degrees though, and not a lot of real world experience. And so you want training and education to be part of this so that you can really get a solid result from beginning to end. And doing this training piece is a huge, massive lift. Uh, it's why if you look at a lot of the top performing hedge funds, uh, they actually have in their quant pipelines here uh, a ton of education and training built in, which seems really odd. Uh, even for a few banks I have talked to, there's maybe one or two that's about it. Out of all the banks I've ever came across and I've come across, you know, big global banks, uh, regional U.S. banks and small itty bitty banks um, that are like managed by FDIC, for example, that whole process, there's not many people training because training is expensive and it requires expertise and there's not really a lot of people that are doing that. But you need to get everybody lined up in your training so that everyone's doing the correct and right thing. Uh, and training should be directly impactful to the work you have so that it makes the pipeline run smoother. So weirdly enough, the education piece is really like the grease. It smooths and slicks things out. Uh, so the projects are just running through here. So you need to have the data at the beginning. You need to have the education really drive this through. And then you need to be able to go through the process of data cleaning. So a lot of data cleaning, as I mentioned, happens in data engineering and the quality side. But as you get that data in, you still have to start looking at variables and thinking like, are we going to have this variable at the time when whatever model is being used is going to be used, right? So for example, in loans, um, often you have to make the decision at time of origination. Well, you might have data on, you know, past customers on how many months they were on books and how many months it took for them to charge off. And you might have, you know, how many payments they're behind by. But when you have it at origination for a specific customer, you're not going to have that data up front. So there's a lot of variables you just can't use, right? They'd be extremely predictive, but you can't use them because you don't know when that customer comes through the door, um, which piece is going to be there. So like days past due, how many days past due is your customer at origination? Zero for everybody. So you can't use that in a model. Um, these sorts of things, though, are challenging to set up. Also for data cleaning and processing, you still have to check the quality of the data and start triangulating data. So banks, big, massive institutions have really, really good data and clean quality data. Um, shocking to a lot of people I've worked with over the years. Uh, those that are new to the industry don't realize we spend millions of dollars on data. Yes, millions of dollars on data, at least at the banking side of this. Uh, quality data costs money. Um, I remember we paid, I think it was like $100,000, but we got a quote for a variable. We needed one extra variable as a macroeconomic factor, only predicted and produced by one corporation, and we just needed that one. Uh, and they quoted us like 100 grand for a variable. So we ended up not using it and came up with some other fancier modeling methodology to kind of get around that. But data is expensive, getting that all set up, doing the processing, doing the cleaning, checking the quality. Um, another piece is defining the problem. So often the business can say, I want to model something, 
and you'll look for data and there's no data that perfectly matches what they want to model. So, you know, in your mind, you could say, okay, you want to model this. And if we just had the most perfect data set and it was just predefined, uh, I could just quickly run it through a machine learning model. I could just fit something, right? Or more professionally and done correctly, you could do this whole process of statistical modeling and go through all these assumptions and testings. Um, and you would see along this process that um, it's hard to define these sorts of things here. So there's a lot of extra work that goes into the data piece, even when you have well-developed and structured teams. Um, you're still training your quants to do data analysis, exploratory analysis, uh, exclusions, handling missing values, handling things that will and won't be available uh, in the operation side of that. And then the next piece is going to go into what everybody thinks quantitative model development is, uh, which is conceptual soundness. And that's actually fitting the model here. But again, going through the process of selecting the simplest model possible, building that out. If you run into snags or issues with assumptions uh, or your data just has a really weird quirks in it, which you found out part of the model development process, uh, part of the data cleaning and data setup process, you will often build a few different models as well as challengers to kind of combat these issues because your data is not going to be perfect. It's going to be probably pretty messy and like garbage in general and things don't line up correctly and they're not linear and there's serial correlation and heteroscedasticity everywhere. And of course the data is non-stationary and we are wrestling with these issues every single day in machine learning, in statistics, in mathematics. Uh, it's one of the things you just have to learn to work through and kind of combat and bounce between. Uh, but again, having the right tools to do this, so depending on which language you select can make this process far easier or far more challenging. Uh, again, some languages are more tilted towards machine learning. Other ones are more towards, tilted towards statistics. But oddly enough, there's not one that's really good at doing all of it. So you might have to have multiple tools along this process as well. And then finally, you get into the final stages here, which is going to be uh, kind of like the performance analysis and review. So looking at like out of time performance, uh, looking at a lot of the statistical tests, um, doing residual analysis, which I think is very odd that most people, when I mention this, kind of look at me and go, what do you mean residual analysis? Well, what do your residuals look like, right? I mean, for a lot of models, you assume uh, normality in the residuals, not all, but most of them. Uh, again, even for like machine learning models as well on those and statistical models, which populations or subpopulations would you expect the model to perform better on worst on? And you can plot those out and see, and you can say, oh, wow, like we have a larger variance in predictions for this specific class of, you know, whatever, whatever we're predicting here it might be autos, could be people, uh, it could be some sort of asset. It could be volatility. That's just literally like you have a bulge, like you have a an issue, an area that you don't predict well. Uh, these sorts of things need to be reviewed. And I have seen the craziest of things in residuals. And yet, shockingly, a lot of people just plot them out onto um, something, for example, like a histogram. And they go, oh, it looks normal. Um, did you actually, well, one, did you actually fit a normal curve over that to see if it's normal? A bell curve doesn't mean it's normal. A bell curve is just a shape. Uh, but again, there's tests for that. And depending if your model requires normality or not. Um, but the other issue, again, is there's weird trends. So there's biases in the in the model itself. And again, if you start to look at biases on the whole model, often they disappear. But if you plot biases out on the residuals against specific variables or things that you think are going to be off or misleading, uh, you'll find there are areas where you can improve on or things that you know it's an issue and there's no easy way to solve it. So heteroscedasticity is a challenging thing to solve sometimes um, because you'll get spread. So even using something like 
feasible generally squares, which I believe the industry calls weightedly squares. Um, you can try to fit that, but sometimes you can't fix it. And there's all kinds of, you know, weird, irregular trends and patterns with it that make weird shapes in the residuals. Understanding uh, the bias and the spreads and things make it really challenging. Uh, it also helps you figure out which model performs better than another model. So you have a bunch of models of they all perhaps work for the case and they all fit extremely well. Uh, then you need to start looking at robustness testing on out of, out of time samples versus your development samples or in machine learning terms, uh, your training set versus your testing set. So testing is the same as out of time. But again, there's this process of setting all of these up and getting all the performance reviews and making sure the model works. And often in practice, there is no perfect solution and things just don't work out merrily. And we all just like, you know, dance off into the sunsets here. Unfortunately, models are just approximations to reality and there's always going to be flaws and issues, weaknesses with that. And then finally, the last piece is going to be the documentation and the governance. Uh, setting up documentation is absolutely critical and people always like roll their eyes when I say that because they've never had issues or have had to work at a situation where things blow up. Uh, one of the firms I was at, there was an individual who was viewed as an expert um, in a very specific type of model. There were some HR complaints and issues over some time. Uh, the individual was let go. Uh, those models had to get redeveloped because they started to fail, as most models do, and they couldn't figure out the original models to fix them. Even with all the code and everything, the documentation was so poor they couldn't fix it. And then they brought in a bunch of people to rebuild new models, and those new models still couldn't perform nearly as well as the old models. Again, how do you fix that? I don't know, because you didn't document it well. If you would have had documentation on the decisions that were made throughout the process, uh, even simple things in the data cleaning phase can have a massive impact on how you model here. Uh, that is going to be a challenge within itself. So documentation, documentation, documentation. And then don't forget ongoing performance monitoring as well. So this tells you when the model is starting to fail, when it needs to be redeveloped. Um, again, if you build robust models, your OPMs will fail slowly. If you build very overfit, um, kind of, I don't know, brittle models, uh, when the OPM fails, they will fail terribly. And in practice, when you have to build models, you'll start to realize robustness is often a more important aspect of a model than fit and accuracy here. Because you want things to fail at a predictable time and predictable manner, and you want the time to be able to fix those sorts of things here. Um, so that's kind of the process here. And then as soon as that model is built, then it goes to implementation teams, which I know hedge funds call quant dev. Uh, banks and other institutions have actual implementation teams or DevOps. And a lot of times they will end up implementing these models into some sort of framework. So it could go into a website for a customer. It could go into an app on a phone. Um, it could go into a dashboard for a business, like a business that is running this model daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, something, and they're pulling insights out of this and making decisions based off of this. So having that implementation piece is going to be a critical point after the quants actually do the development. And then finally, the business that started this whole chaotic mess, this whole project and process, they should sign off at the end saying, this does exactly what we need, or uh, it doesn't do what we need. Or maybe it's close enough and we would love to have these 10 features in it, um, but you're only able to get eight out of the 10 and that's close enough for us. Um, but again, there's this whole process and this is really the quant pipeline here. Um, some of the challenges on setting these up is one, you have to have multiple departments involved. So as I mentioned, right, you have to have the data engineering team set up, the data quality, doing all that. Uh, then you have to have all of your education and training in your quants just to get them ready 
to go. And then once the data hits and the problems are set up by the businesses, you need to hit the ground running. Uh, getting this pipeline to move consistently means keeping all the garbage, all the headaches, all the meetings off of the plate of your employees. So do not have your employees jumping from task to task to task to meeting. This drives me absolutely insane uh, as a quant over the years. And I've had managers that are like shocked. They're like Dimitri builds models in half the time of everybody else. And he can do crazy things in time series models that we have never seen anyone else do. We spent, you know, tons of money on employees. I had a bank that was actually out trying to hire PhDs who were experts in time series. And they were going to solve this problem of making models that worked. And unfortunately, I went through their models and said, here's, you know, a bunch of stuff you guys just didn't do right. You needed it this way. And here's why. And they look at you like, well, how do you know that? Um, it's just, again, keeping all the garbage out of the quant lane. So you want a good quant pipeline, you want really solid, robust models that work well, um, just let them be quants. Don't put them in a lot of meetings. So I hated meetings, absolutely hate meetings. Um, I had one job where I was in six hours of meetings per day. And most of those meetings were just wasteful time sucks. And so as I build out quant pipelines in my current role, and as I've done it in the past with managing smaller teams uh, and departments here, it's trying to keep everybody on task and focused on what they do. Now, I also don't want this to be the crazy chaotic piece here where, you know, you start the job and you feel like you have to be in your seat at a very specific time and you have to be optimizing and working, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 hours and you can't take a break. Um, that is also extremely unhealthy and breaks these quant pipelines because you literally just burn the pieces up, which are your employees, right? You burn them out so quickly, they're not going to work well. Um, so I like to have people that come in and they sit and literally you have nothing going on except for this one project. And you can sit and you can think about it and you can be like me and you can have a planner maybe in front of you. Uh, I have a few textbooks over here on this bookcase next to me. And sometimes I get bored because I only have the one problem to work on and I start reading these textbooks. And people think, this is like, you're off track. You're not on the quant pipeline. No, 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 no. That's what you want the quants to do. You want them to read because if they have this problem and they're wrestling with this problem in their mind. And oddly enough, for most people, as I've mentioned, I finish projects usually fairly quickly. Sometimes I get stuck. Um, but probably about 25% of that time is not coding. It's not modeling. It's actually me just thinking. And so you want your quants to read and think and explore and be in the quant realm where it's like they're just enjoying the fact that they're reading textbooks, they're reading papers, they're even writing them to help get thoughts and ideas out and to work through these ideas and wrestle with them. And then they have this one or two projects just on their plate and they have deadlines and they know they've got a little bit of buffer in there, but they need to get on them as well. And as they're working through these things, uh, you'll be shocked and amazed at the quality of work as it increases because, as I mentioned, the education and training piece needs to be baked into there. Uh, part of this is self-education. Part of this is going to be uh, company-led education, which, again, puts me in a paralysis, as you'll see in one of these episodes, where it's like there's just so many pieces in planning and it's hard to figure out who knows what, and I don't want to waste people's time, right? This is like another meeting. Uh, waste their time teaching them something they already know. But often I've realized... It is more important just to teach the material so everybody can hear it and everybody can get on the same page 
And often, even if somebody already knows the topic, you hope they pick up, you know, a few minutes here and a few minutes there, something new. Uh, but again, getting that quant pipeline, getting them into the realm, getting them just to focus on just quant things and not office politics, um, not office things, not a bunch of meetings, not things that could pertain to them, but maybe don't pertain to them and you're just wasting their time. Um, really getting them to focus deep. Uh, now, as more of a management position here and having to run a quant team and build all this out, I am the fireman running behind the scenes, uh, crazily trying to put all the pieces together. And I see my employees are kind of chugging along uh, this quant pipeline. Uh, and I'm the frantic person that's like, oh crap, they're going to hit this next stage in this piece. And so I need to hurry and get this training in place, or I need to, you know, make sure I put together a list of things I need to check and do just to make sure that we're all on the same page. And luckily, as I have failed in some of these instances, and I've been behind schedule, uh, they have done excellent jobs as well on just making sure that they're thinking and testing things. And I'm trying to review things to make sure we're kind of, you know, moving along at the same pace because I don't want to hold them up. And I also do not want to put them in the position where now they're going back to, I need to go back to this other meeting or I need to jump to these other projects or I'm thinking about something else. Um, getting that quant pipeline in place is really getting them to focus and think about the problem. And as many of you have known on many of my other episodes as well, um, some of my greatest solutions to challenging projects have come in the middle of the night where I just wake up and it's like, there it is. Like, that, that's exactly the answer. That's how you fit that model together. That's how that piece is going to get solved. Um, and so putting those together, you know, having that ability to think and process without being overwhelmed with too many multitasking pieces here, I find is what keeps these pipelines kind of operating smoothly. And then finally, as I mentioned as well with the other teams here, I deviated a little bit. Uh, we had the data engineers. We had how to get this quant pipeline set up and operating smoothly and getting them to focus. Um, the last piece is going to be, you know, looking at the other ends of the pipeline as well, because you're gonna have implementation and the handoff and getting that put over uh, in banking and in Modeling in general, you should have a validation team that checks all this work as well. So they can double check and add a layer of protection to make sure these models are operating and working as expected or find better solutions. And then, you know, they get implemented with these uh, implementation teams or quant dev or DevOps, or to call them. And then finally, making sure the business is happy here. But as you can see, I'm kind of rushing through the pipeline here of everything as a function and a firm. And the quant pipeline kind of lays in the middle as more of the focus for this episode at least. Uh, but quants operate very differently, as I've mentioned. I think that's a key takeaway for a lot of managers that just don't get it. Um, they come from a business background. They come from a tech background. Uh, they manage us as their own types of employees, and they think we want to be fun and exciting and, I don't know, do frilly things. Um, but no, we're not. We just want to like learn and study and feel gratification on solving problems with math and stats and programming these kind of things through. And often we get really excited when new packages come out or something happens within the industry. Um, but again, just getting us to focus, getting the education, the training piece, and then getting all the training set up so people know the process. I've seen so many teams fail uh, where they have had uh, terrible documentation, which should help guide your quants through development or validation, uh, where they know you, you go through, you know, the data section and there's subsections on what they should be looking at and reviewing or the things they should be going through for the model development. And then it should go into, you know, conceptual soundness on how to kind of build and fit the model. And there should be excellent questions in this documentation, which is why I spend so much time uh, putting these templates together and then re-putting them together. I've put them together now um, I had good ones at some global banks I started with and some regional banks. And then I wrote them out, 
for a smaller bank. And I had to really think those things through. And then now in my current role as well in the fintech industry, it, it's rethinking these things through of how do you get your quants to think deeply about these problems and set these things up. Because um, as part of that quant pipeline, you want them to do things right the first time and you don't want to be going back and forth and back and forth trying to fix things. So anyways, those are my two cents on the uh, quant pipeline here. Again, it's a weird thing. I know this doesn't follow standard management practices. I've read all kinds of management books and tech books. Um, your quants just need to focus on a problem and you give them a little bit of leeway, but you also need to have a nice kind of runway and guidance and steps and processes they need to follow uh, to get through that. And I'll add here as a final note on caveat on the runway and processes here, you cannot automate much of quant finance on the model development side. I know everybody wants to do it. I've seen many, many companies fail. They've reached out to me and say, oh, Dimitri, I have the greatest software ever. It is completely automated and it will fix all of your development. You can develop in half the time. And unfortunately, they're so black boxy and so automated, it just produces pure garbage with no insight into how the model was actually built and the assumptions behind it. And as I mentioned with the operations uh, models and the research issues, uh, the employee that ended up being fired uh, from HR, they couldn't redo it. That often happens with these tools where you have someone who's an actual quant build a custom model that works excellent. Um, these automated tools don't come anywhere near it. So yes, it sounds nice. It sounds like, oh, we could just automate this away. Dimitri, trust me, I know. I've tried all these softwares. Trust me, I've looked at them. I've talked to them. I've worked with the vendors. There's just many parts of this you can't automate, uh, which is why two quants, same experience in everything. Magically, one is significantly better than the other one uh, just because there is a big quality difference in the ability to think and solve problems mathematically. So anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And as always, until next time.